Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and I hope today you've had a good day. And I hope today that you're going to find uh, an opportunity to uh, listen for both hours because I've got a wonderful show just for you. And I hope you, like it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, I, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I want you to know him better. I want this to be a joyful classroom that you come and learn lots of things at. And uh, Rob Louie is going to be joining me in just a minute. And then Dr. Alex McFarlane is going to continue our series on dead theologians. And then Jeff Verdorn is going to be hour two. We're going to talk about who is this Jesus in our series. So Rob Louie is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. The Daily Signal is the Heritage Foundation's multimedia news organization. Always glad to have Rob on. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's good to be back with you. Thanks. And I know the Heritage Foundation does this beautiful job of election integrity scorecard. You guys have figured out a really uh, interesting way to um, make sure that we understand the election integrity that's going on in our in our states. And I would love for you to talk about that because midterms are just around the corner. Well, th- this is an area where my colleagues on the research side at Heritage have some expertise. I mean, and not just on this issue, but measuring economic freedom, measuring U.S. military strength. Uh, now, this election scorecard. And, and next month, uh, we are coming out with a education report card. I'd wow. love to have some of my colleagues come back and talk to you about the different states and how they rank. But specific to your question, Bill, yes, uh, we decided that it was really important, given looking at the polling numbers and some of the other concerns that it seems Americans have about the integrity of our elections, that we would rank all 50 states and give them a guide, some model legislation on how they can improve their election laws. And so we have just provided an update on uh, on where the states rank, and there have been some changes. And that's because the state legislatures and some states have been busy and hard at work this year uh, to do exactly what we've been talking about. And that's make sure that they are uh, doing a better job in terms of putting together laws that uh, keep the, the cheaters out uh, to strengthen the confidence uh, among uh, uh, the voters in, in those states. And we have a new number one, and that is the state of Texas. Rocketed, uh, they only have 84 out of 100, so they still have some work to do. Okay. You know, they're, they're not quite there yet. But Tennessee took some actions this year in its state legislature uh, to make those changes. And, and that's, I think, a, a testament to, to what's been going on all across this country. They recognize that after the 2016 election, there were Democrats who didn't trust the election results. And then after the 2020 election, there were Republicans who didn't trust it. And we can't have a situation in our country where, depending on who wins or loses, uh, you don't trust the election results. We want a situation where there are, there are clear winners and losers. And mm-hmm. yeah, maybe your guy or girl, girl didn't win this time. Uh, but next time around, you can be confident that they'll have a fair chance. I mean, that sounds lovely. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. And Rob, I hate to make you repeat yourself, but you did cut out right at the time you were talking about one of the states that's moved to number one. 
Oh, sure, sure. Sorry. And Bill, if we if we have a problem with the connection, uh, you're more than welcome to call me on the phone. But uh, Tennessee is the new number Tennessee. one in, on, on our election integrity scorecard. Uh, we, um, we we have uh, color coded it. So you can see the if you go to the, the website, which is just heritage.org slash election scorecard, uh, you. Mm hmm. We lost you again, Rob. So I think we will try to get you on the phone. Unfortunately, you're so. Oh, there you're back. I think hey, we lost. Bill. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, Rob. We're just having a little bit of technical problem. So uh, we are going to try to call you on the phone because we don't want to miss out on what you're saying. And uh, right now we're having a little difficulty with the connection. So as we get Rob Bluey on the phone, uh, you can always send over questions for Rob. And I love it when you do because you think thoughtfully and you think uh you always ask really good questions. So text them over to 877-933-2484. If you have a question for Rob Bluey from the Daily Signal, again, the number is 877-933-2484. And I also want to encourage you, if you want to share your faith radio story, we'd love to hear it. Um, how Faith Radio has become a part of your daily journey with God. And we'd love to have you tell your story you can uh, share how God is using Faith Radio to encourage you and help you grow at MyFaithRadio.com. We have Rob Bluey back. Rob, welcome hey, back. Hey, Bill. Yeah, good. Thank you. Sorry about the technical problem no there. Problem. But, uh, but yes, so as I, as I was saying, and, and I don't know where I was cutting out, but uh, we have decided that, uh, that it's really important to provide this information. And so congratulations to Tennessee, which is our new number one state when it comes to election integrity. But you can, uh, you, your, your listeners can get the full scorecard at heritage.org slash election scorecard, and you'll okay. see that there are a number of states, particularly in, in the southeastern part of the country, uh, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, Louisiana, who, who all rank up near the top 10. And so uh, Minnesota has some work to do, Bill. Okay. <laughs> It's yeah. 30, 34th on the list. So, uh, you know, wow. if, you live in a, if you live in a state that, uh, that is, uh, is at the bottom of the, the charts, um, one of the things that we provide is we provide the model legislation. So you can take it to your lawmaker and you can say, here are some ideas that you could implement that would really strengthen uh, the elections in, in our state. And as we're just seeing now, I mean, even the Pennsylvania has been in the news for a decision to um, – uh, allow mail-in ballots. Uh, Michigan was in the news this week uh, for not removing dead voters from the uh, dead citizens from the voter rolls. You know, so <laughs> there seems to be always uh, something in the news, and uh, and I think that's our our job as citizens to make sure our elected representatives are doing everything they can uh, to restore confidence in our election. Yeah, Rob, you probably just answered my question, but how does a state go in the tank? How does Minnesota get to be thirty-four? What are we doing that gets us to number thirty-four? Sure. Well, I mean, some of the some of the things that I I, I point to is so we, we go through different categories and we, we assign a score uh, based on that. And so in in I'll uh, I'll, I'll give you Minnesota's for for instance and where they uh, score poorly. So for instance, um, uh, when it comes to same day registration, we give Minnesota zero out of three. Uh, when it comes to restricting private funding of election officials, we give them zero out of three. So those are areas where Minnesota, for instance, could come in and take some legislative actions and improve that. To that latter point, what we saw happen in 2020 was Mark Zuckerberg, uh, the CEO of Facebook, went in and spent a lot of money, private money, his own money, and did essentially get out the vote efforts in certain communities. Mm -hmm. Well, 
those were targeted in many cases to support the Democratic candidates. And so if you have election officials who are being paid to do this kind of work, we think that's problematic. Private individuals shouldn't come in and be paying government officials to do that, that type of thing. And so what some states have done is they've restricted what they call Zuckerbuck mm. uh, from influencing the elections in their state. And so Minnesota is not one of the states that have done that, but we're recommending that that is something that they, they look on. Where I'll tell you where Minnesota really uh, and a lot of states really are lacking and that's the implementation of voter ID. And so um, you, you can look and see exactly um, uh, what they do well. Uh, Minnesota only has – the state requires a photo ID uh, or a unique identifier such as a driver's license uh, for absentee voting. Well, only partially. Uh, the state does not uh, provide a free photo ID for those who cannot afford a state issue ID. So that's an area if they started providing a free ID. So these are all steps that the states can take, and uh, and those that do those can obviously score higher and get more points and move up in the rankings. Mm-hmm. Rob Bluey is my guest, and Rob, when you bring up Mark Zuckerberg, I know he's been in the news because there was talk of uh, Facebook doing some suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop around election time. And they were writing it off as Russian disinformation, so therefore they could um, carry it out that way. Yes. So uh, he did make some news. You are absolutely correct. Last week when he was on with Joe Rogan, a popular podcast, and it was asked about uh, what, what, what happens in a situation like that. And Zuckerberg was quite revealing. Maybe he regrets being so candid with, uh, with Joe Rogan, but he gave us an insight into uh, to what was happening there in uh, the latter stages of of the 2020 presidential campaign. And as your listeners will remember, it was uh, just weeks before the election that the New York Post had a bombshell story that said uh, there were the contents of the Hunter Biden laptop and information that you know might jeopardize uh, Pre- uh, President Biden's campaign. Uh, Twitter and Facebook and all the other social media platforms decided to suppress the story and really limit its reach. And what we found out from Zuckerberg is that the FBI was actually warning Facebook about hoaxes like this. And so Facebook took action based on the government's intelligence uh, to, to suppress the story for, for a period of seven days, obviously a critical time when people were trying to make up their mind and decide who to vote for. Um, there's two problems with this, Bill. Number one, it's another example of the government coming in and dictating what we as consumers are seeing on social media platforms. You mm-hmm. saw Jen Psaki, the former White House press secretary, do this when it came to COVID saying that they needed to to ban certain accounts and, and suppress certain information to, to keep the American people safe. And I'd say the other thing that's problematic is when polling was done after the fact and Biden's uh, vote, people who voted for Biden were asked if they knew about the Hunter Biden story, uh, they didn't know about it. And they said, had they known about it, they wouldn't have voted for him. So, I mean, it, it really did change the outcome of the election. And I don't think that these big platforms Zuckerberg himself uh, should be playing the gatekeeper when it comes to allowing this critical information to uh, make its way into the hands of the American people. Yeah, when the social media platforms are dictating the news and they have all the uh, algorithms that can be so specific into certain neighborhoods and to certain homes, it it gets to be quite a science, quite an art to manipulating data. It is so different than when we we started the Daily Signal in in 2014, so eight years ago, and it's so different today. Uh, at, at that time, you know, most people could go onto Facebook, and and it was, you know, you you whoever you were following would show up in your newsfeed. But Bill, you're absolutely right. 
Facebook is so controlling now of the algorithm that unless you specify that you want to see certain people, the computer, the, the algorithm is going to decide uh, right. what it is you read and see. And and I think that the the American people are smarter than that. I don't think that they necessarily always appreciate uh, what these social media companies are trying to do and how they're trying to manipulate the information uh, that, that we that we get. And in some cases, like COVID. Uh, the information that they were blocking at one point turned out to be true later on. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they don't have all the answers. Yeah, for sure not. Rob Louie is my guest. He's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com. We've got lots more news stories to cover when we come back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you for joining me today. Rob Blue is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. Rob, okay, everyone's returning back to school. What are the policies with COVID and the vaccine policies? Well, it seems like we're headed in what I would consider the right direction, Bill, where where we're removing some of the mandates and restrictions that students have had to face. Uh, You know, my my kids uh, at, at one point in time, you know, obviously had to wear the masks and that changed in Virginia when uh, Governor Yunkin came into office and, and obviously decided to move in a different direction. But here in Washington, D.C., where I am right now, the mayor and the city are pursuing what I think are, are misguided policies. And that's because, you know, like any major city, the, the population is um, somewhat uh, skeptical, I think, of, of COVID vaccines or parents may just not feel comfortable letting their their kids uh, take the vaccine. Um, and uh, I think they're basing that on, not only on the reality of, of the situation, but also probably looking at some of the data. And so 47% of, of black students between the ages of 12 and 15 and about 42% of 16 and 17 year olds have not received the vaccine. Well, so when the Washington DC public school system said, you cannot attend school if you're unvaccinated, that would obviously shut the doors to a very large population of the students in Washington, D.C. And it was through my colleague, Doug Blair, a frequent guest on your show, his reporting and questioning of Bowser at at a couple of press conferences that really revealed this issue and and forced others to pay attention to it. So we received news on Friday, just days before D.C. opened uh, its doors for the, the next school year, that the city was moving in a different direction. They were going to delay the vaccine mandate. Uh, they were going to allow those students who were unvaccinated to attend school. And, uh, and I think that's a, a welcome decision. It obviously puts parents back in charge. And uh, the other component of this, which was just bizarre to me, is that D.C. wasn't even going to offer them a virtual learning option. So essentially, if they chose not, if they chose not to get the vaccine, and granted, the story's not over because it's, it's still just pushed it to January 3rd of 2023. If they chose not to get the vaccine, they'd be out of luck. Uh, they wouldn't be able to go to school at all. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right, Rob, a couple questions have come in. Uh, I was wondering, how can the president just take and make something law by executive order? Why do we have a legislature if he can do something, say, without their approval? Something I've always wondered about. 
Well, that's that's a good question. And, and for those of us who believe in Article One of the Constitution, uh, like your listener, uh, we certainly don't uh, don't appreciate when the president goes down in this direction. Now, there are certain things that the Constitution gives the, the president uh, the opportunity to make decisions on. I would suggest that the student loan bailout is not one of them. And so I, I don't know if that's in, in, in reference specifically, but that is the most recent action that President Biden has taken. Mm-hmm. Where in his terms, he is forgiven uh, the loans uh, up to $10,000 for, for some uh, and, and $20,000 for Pell Grant recipients, which the Penn Wharton model suggests is going to cost us as taxpayers $1 trillion. So really, he's just transferring the cost uh, from, from those that went to college onto those that uh, the rest of the taxpaying public, many of whom didn't go to college. And so uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has indicated that the president doesn't have the legal authority to do this uh, by executive action. So I think in this case, uh, you can always file a lawsuit. And the question is, who would have standing to bring a lawsuit? And Mm -hmm. I'm sure that the lawyers who are a lot smarter than I am will figure that out exactly. But there is recourse. Or the other recourse bill, of course, is uh, is Congress. Now, I don't expect the Democratic-led Congress, being the, the president's own party, to take any action. But should Republicans regain control of, of Congress in the new year or they have control over the purse strings, they may try to do things in their capacity uh, to challenge the president's executive action on this. It's certainly not the first time that Democrats complain about things that Trump did. Republicans complain about things that Biden and Obama did. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's an ongoing uh, concern and something that I think uh, those of us who believe in the power of the legislative branch, in Congress, uh, would like to see uh certainly curtailed. Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal, and he's also a man that is not afraid of sitting in a seat that is hot. So here are some more questions, Rob. Uh, does Rob think that there's any chance Hillary Clinton and Liz Cheney will run together in 2024? They seem to have a common dislike of a certain person. <laughs> yeah, they sure they sure do. Uh, well, you know, for for all of the dislike that, uh, that Congresswoman Cheney has for, for President Trump, uh, she still maintains that she's a Republican. And so for her to team up with with a Democrat and somebody who is probably opposed uh, to her, her perspective on a lot of policy issues, I, I think it's probably a slim chance, although stranger things have happened. And there uh, there are times when uh, individuals team up for for political ends that uh, that sometimes <laughs> those of us in the public don't don't fully understand. Uh, there is look, there's growing chatter and dissatisfaction, although it seems to have uh, tempered a little bit lately with uh, with President Biden. I think that there uh, is uh, there there are, there's a, you know a younger generation of Democrats who would like to see others step forward and perhaps run for office in uh, 2024 and the Democratic ticket. And so maybe that's an opening for Hillary Clinton. Who knows? Mm-hmm. We're still a long ways out. Uh, all I can tell your listeners is that Biden has declared on numerous occasions that he's running for re-election. And so at this point, we'll take him at his word. Mm-hmm. You know, Rob, I'm a tennis fan, and so I'm troubled that uh, Novak Djokovic can't come into our country to compete in the U.S. Open in New York because he's not vaccinated. Uh, but what about the the four million that have crossed our border um, at at the southern border? And what do we say about the fact that they've come into our country? And who knows if they're vaccinated or not? Well, well, Bill, if you're listening to the White House press conferences lately, you would think that they're not actually <laughs> coming in. Uh, the uh, the pre- White House press secretary had this now infamous exchange with Peter Ducey at Fox News where she 
uh, alleged that uh, the the illegal immigrants were not walking across the border, which, of course, we we know from video evidence and many other documented sources that that is happening. So, uh, but, but I think to your, your specific question and to the point that you raised, you remember that they, the, the Trump administration put in place uh, policies uh, to, to deal with the, the threat of COVID coming across the border uh, and, and being transmitted by illegal immigrants. And, and so this is a major concern. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's one that I, I can't quite rectify because you have an administration that puts in place certain mandates, like the ones that you just talked about for for travel, but they don't necessarily want to apply those same uh, standards uh, to illegal immigrants. And so I I don't fully understand it. I I think that there are political reasons, obviously, why why they're doing this, but it's it's, it's a growing concern. And I'll tell you why, because we continue to set records with the number of border crossings and, and certainly apprehensions month after month. And the problem does not seem to be getting any better. It only seems to be getting worse. And I don't think that anybody has confidence, based on the polling I've seen, it's, uh, it, it's, it's quite a lack of confidence across, uh, across the American spectrum when it comes to this administration and dealing with immigration. So it's, uh, it's, it's kind of depressing. Uh, I think it's one of the issues that probably will animate voters this fall because things are uh, that bad. Uh, that and crime, um, you know, continue to be problems that, uh, that that they seem to refuse to want to address. Yeah. In our hometown of Minneapolis, carjacking is up 396 uh, percent. Seems like it, a big number. It, it is. And, and you know, you, you read about, I mean, you see the images and, and you read. And, and I, I just had a great guest on the Daily Signal podcast this week, uh, Rafael Mangual of the Manhattan Institute, who's just written a book called Criminal Injustice where he dispels some of the myths about uh, a crime in the United States. And he says, look, we really don't have a mass incarceration problem, uh, despite what you might hear on, on television and from certain politicians. Uh, what, we, we have a very forgiving system, in fact. He said that uh, there, there, we, we do believe in second chances. He said that so many of the people who commit these crimes are actually uh, committing their, their ninth or tenth or even more, you know, they, they're repeat offenders. And he said the people, the neighborhoods and the people that are affected most by this are uh, are, are low-income uh, black and Hispanic communities. I mm-hmm. mean, that's where the crime is taking place, and those are the families that are struggling yeah. with these situations. And so it's really, it's really depressing to have politicians out there who want to defund the police or – uh, you know, open the jails and, and let people out um, when, when in fact, that's the wrong approach that we should be taking. Mm-hmm. All right. Just have time for one more question. The listener would like to know, does it seem as though the chances for the GOP to take the House are waning? Yes, it does appear that. It, 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 not necessarily because there's a lack of enthusiasm among Republicans, though, Bill. It, it seems that the Democrats are, are more energized as a result of the Dobbs decision and uh, more money flowing into Democratic political coffers. So I think that people are still confident Republicans will retake uh, the majority in the House, but less so about the Senate. Uh, but, you know, look, a lot of people start paying attention after Labor Day, and so right. we're just at that point now. So we'll keep an eye on it and see where it goes. And then it's all getting filtered through uh, mainstream media, too. So do you sometimes wonder what you can believe? Oh, absolutely. Well, as we talked about earlier in the show, I mean, not only mainstream and legacy media, but social media as well. So I think we always have to be skeptical. And that's why uh, it's important to read multiple sources and and listen to shows like yours. Thanks, Rob. And thanks for coming on the show. Always nice to have you on. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Head to DailySignal.com to check it out. When we come back, Dr. Alex McFarland is going to join me, and we're going to continue our 
lively discussion on dead theologians. like the wisdom of the ages. I like thinkers who have thought good thoughts and they've left them for us to ponder. And it's always a delight to talk to Dr. Alex McFarland about dead theologians because uh, we've been at this for a little while and it's always been uh, a pleasure. And I sneak up on Alex as I never give him a heads up as to who I'm going to talk about. Yet Alex, in his uh, great depth of knowledge and wisdom, uh, shows up to the table every time we do this knowing way more than I know, and I'm the one that did the prep. Go figure. Alex, welcome. Well, hi, Bill. It's always great to be with you. Yeah. Now, I've got a couple of questions today before we get into a dead theologian that I've chosen, and that is um, how theologians are going to be interpreting biblical material, how they have arrived at their conclusions, and if we put all these theologians in a room, what are we going to learn from them? There's going to be varying opinions, and there's going to be differences of interpretations. So how do we process all this? Well, great question, great question. And, Bill, by the way, thanks for making time for me and allowing me to be on. And uh, I just commend you for the great um, scholarship you bring to the airwaves. You you really are making a great contribution to uh, the the Christian witness in our culture, Bill, and, and I'm honored to be on with you. But Really, your question is kind of twofold because there there's the question of hermeneutics. What does the Bible say? And then there's the question of theology. How do I sort of systematize and organize mm-hmm. what the Bible has said? And, you know, while there are various kind of um, models of theology or systems of theology, there are the core um, foundational blocks of Christianity on which we all agree that that really should be, you know, the triune God who has revealed himself, the one God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But then there's Jesus, the incarnation, the second member of the Trinity who came to earth to die on the cross to pay our sin debt. Jesus rose from the dead, uh, proving his deity. He conquered the grave. Uh, through faith in Jesus, we are saved. Uh, trust. That's what faith is, our trust in Jesus. We're born again. Um, There is the Bible, the authority of Scripture, that the the Bible is the Word of God, and that all Christians and the church at large is under the authority of Scripture. And so these are kind of the the foundationals. Um, You know, really, I made up an acronym, Bill. It's in one of my books, IVDAR, (laughs) Inspiration, Virgin Birth, Deity, Atonement, resurrection wow. return this is in my book stand core truths you must know for an unshakable faith inspiration of scripture virgin born deity that means the son of god atonement he paid our sin debt he rose he's going to return now now these are are really hermeneutical 
fundamentals that are non-negotiables, but there are systems of theology. So you ask, how do theologians do it? Well, as we handle Scripture, there's really what's called the historical grammatical approach. In other words, we look at the context. So we understand in the Old Testament it was Israel being raised up through whom would come the Messiah. And then the grammatical, you know, what do the words say? And so here's when we read Scripture, and, you know, I, you don't have to be a theologian to read and benefit from the Word of God, but we kind of look at these questions, you know, uh, what is the setting in which this occurs, and then what do the words say, and then what is my responsibility in light of what those words say? And so that's kind of... I'm not going to say that's how theologians always do it, but mm-hmm. that's how theologians should do it. Mm, appreciate that. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest. You can learn more about Alex at alexmcfarlane.com, and I recommend you do. He's written over 20 books, and he thinks clearly. So, Alex, let me just ask you a couple of basic questions. Um, let's say there are people listening right now, and they're kicking the tires, and they think to themselves, I keep hearing about salvation and faith. And like the Philippian jailer that said to Paul, what must I do to be saved? How would you respond to them? Great question. What uh, Paul said in Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And Bill, I'm I'm glad the way you put it, you know, kicking the tires, thinking about this. Just like um, this morning I was with a television producer who uh, I first met about two and a half years ago, and he was an atheist at that time. And uh, we've, you know, done some videos together, and um, I guess two years of editing apologetics <laughs> yeah. videos begins to work on you. But he he was, as you would say, kicking the tires, thinking about, okay, wow, you know, it, it seems that God exists. There's a creator, a designer. This universe seems to have meaning, and all of these things are best understood in terms of God existing. And then on the landscape of history, there's there's one personality that's just different than anybody else. It was Jesus Christ, uh, prophesied coming, virgin birth, sinless life, did miraculous deeds, made some pretty amazing claims. Jesus claimed to be the revelation of God to humanity. And not only that, he, he claimed to be the way of salvation. And he said, here's how you'll know, destroy this body, and three days later I will rise from the dead, Mm. which the evidence for his empty tomb is compelling. And this is how my friend kind of processed it. So there's God, and there's this hole in my soul nothing else has been able to to fill, and I've got this longing that I want to be right with God. And here's a man named Jesus who claims he can give that to me, and if I will turn my life to Christ, and the way we do that, uh, we admit that we're a sinner, and then we we turn from sin, and we say, Lord, I, I need you, and I believe that when you died on that cross, you did that for me, and Lord, I'm, I'm willing to accept who you are and what you did, and Lord, come into my life, and please save my soul. Now, Bill, there's different ways we could say it, uh, Lord, please save me, or Lord, please forgive me, but let me quote a verse. It's one of my favorite verses, John 6, 40. Jesus said this, 
the one who sees the Son, in fact, he used the word whoever, whoever sees the Son and believes in him will have everlasting life, and I will raise you up at the last day. Now, to see the Son, it, it means to comprehend and understand. Jesus is the one, the only guy that ever rose from the dead. And I, I need him in my life. And apart from Christ, there's no other way. And believes in him. And it's, it's not just intellectually saying, okay, I, I acknowledge the history books report on some guy named Jesus. No, to believe in Jesus means a connection and, and bringing him in. Uh, Hebrews talks about experiencing to say, Lord, I'm willing to put my faith in you. And Jesus says, if you'll do that, if you'll put your faith in him, A, you will have everlasting life. And B, Jesus makes this amazing promise to every Christian. I will raise you up at the last day. And, and Bill, what's unique about it is this. Um, there's no other personality in history that claimed what Jesus claimed and coupled those claims with an unparalleled level of proof he rose from the dead. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. Bill, there might be even somebody in your listening audience right now, and today is the day, just like my formerly atheist friend who several weeks ago was born again. Uh, wow. Call on Jesus, folks. Uh, if you're not sure, you can be sure. Not based on what Alex says. Goodness, Alex's opinion is worth nothing. But the Word of God, which cannot lie, Jesus said in John 6, 37, the one who comes to me, I will in no way reject. Bill, isn't that a great promise if we turn to Jesus, that he will receive each one of us who puts our trust in him? It's it's uh, thrilling. It really is. And Alex, has there been a period of time in the last 50, 70 years of, of Christianity where there has been an emphasis for people to have what I would call easy believism? Um, say a prayer and then you're saved. Wow. Um, do we... Do we do a good enough job of saying, you need to count the cost of following Jesus? Well, you know, as much as I love this nation, Bill, and I, I mean, I really do, and I you know, I grew up in the Bible Belt of the South, and there was a time when, you know, everybody seemed to go to church, and it just, it was kind of, you know, um, the post-World War II suburban you know, America, one nation under God. And, you know, thank the Lord for that. But I don't think there was a lot of um, really societal pressure to really be a full-out disciple. The The culture in which we live now really separates the the authentic from the posers. And and I will say nowadays it's it's not just reciting some words. I mean, it really, if you come out, for biblical truth, uh, Jesus, the one and only way of salvation, Scripture, the one and only revelation of God, morality as God defines it, not as man or media define it, but a man, a woman, heterosexual monogamy as God's design for marriage, um, you know, gender uh, objectivity, a man and a woman, let me say this, if you are a for real disciple nowadays, there is a cost. And I think you're right, Bill, that we should count the cost, that we're we're not just getting a 
a fire insurance policy against hell. No, God has called us more than to recite a prayer, but to live as a disciple, um, whether it's uh, affirmation or persecution, we are to live for the one who died for us. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can learn more about Alex at alexmcfarland.com. And, you know, we talk about dead theologians. We just haven't brought one up yet. I do have one ready to talk about, but I'm not ready to get off this topic quite yet. I just had another question from a listener. A question for Alex, when we die, are we in limbo until the last day? Maybe there isn't a definitive answer in the Bible as I haven't found it myself or perhaps haven't understood it? Well, that that is a great question because, you know, and, and by the way, we, we look at the totality of Scripture about, you know, what we conclude. And, you know, the John 640 that I quoted where Jesus says, and I will raise you up at the last day, if that were the only verse we had, we might say, wow, from death to the last day, where are we? But I think about 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, where the Apostle Paul said, we're confident, yes, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Um, Jesus, to the thief on the cross, said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Now, uh, short answer, as short as I can be on this, no, when a believer dies, we're instantly in the presence of, of Christ, in heaven with the Lord. Now, the permanent, everlasting, glorified body that we ultimately will get um, I believe, is at some future point. Now, we're not some ghost floating around. It is tangible. It is corporeal. Luke twenty four thirty six. Jesus said, Touch me, you'll see that a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. So we are with Christ at the moment of death, and we are in some very tangible, real, physical state. But even as good as that is, there's even yet a glorified body down the road that we get on that, quote, last day. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarland's my guest. We're going to take a break and when we come back. I think I need to get to a dead theologian uh, because that's the whole point. We of, can do uh, that. Uh, and I do have someone in mind. And I'll just give you a hint, Alex. He's from Switzerland. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, we're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Okay, we got a late start today talking about dead theologians with Dr. Alex McFarland, but here we are. We've got time remaining, and now I want to talk about a Swiss theologian, and he's best known for his commentary uh, on the Epistle to the Romans. Uh, any guess who that might be, Alex McFarland? Might that be John Calvin? No, it's Karl Barth. Oh, okay. Yeah. A more recent. A more recent, theologian. yes. He died but in yes, 1968. 
That's that's true. You know, uh, one of my professors, Norm Geisler, who's in heaven now, uh, and many that are into biblical worldview and apologetics will know Dr. Geisler, but he's um, Bart was one of his professors. Wow, that's very cool. Isn't that wild? Yeah, yeah. Carl Bar- Barth said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of this world. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. That. That's beautiful. It is, yeah. Another... Because it invokes the um, the sovereign Lord into the affairs of this world, doesn't it? Amen. Yeah. This is one of my favorites. He said, Carl Barth said, laughter is the closest thing to the grace of God. Wow. Yeah. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine. That's so, so true. That's so yeah. true. And I brought this up in the first hour, but he also said, take your Bible and your newspaper and read both, but interpret newspapers from your Bible. Wow. That that's really great, and you know Billy Graham said kind of a a similar thing as well. But um, Karl Barth was—I mean, it's impossible to overstate how influential he was. You know, um, in uh, like the life of Bonhoeffer and and so many others of the twentieth century. But um, th- this is great. Give another quote, and then I I've got a, a an anecdote I'll share about. Oh, it. Perfect. Karl Barth said, the theologian who labors without joy is not a theologian at all. Sulky faces, morose thoughts, and boring ways of speaking are intolerable in this field. Wow. See, isn't that practical? Isn't that practical that, you know, if we are to, you know, study the Word of God and think and reflect, and as as many have said, you know, Bill, think deeply. Mm-hmm. On these truths, it would bring joy that would permeate our soul, wouldn't it? Not depression or or anything like that. And that's why, you know, I'm kind of a news junkie. And and look, you know, the world is dark at this moment. America needs a move of God. Uh, the Bible says, as we get closer and closer to the end of time, evil men will wax worse and worse. It would be easy to you know get depressed. But like the Bart quote that you shared, you know, we should labor with joy, not not having a sulky face or something like that, yeah. but joy because we belong to the true and living God. Mm-hmm. Karl Bart also said, when we are at our wits ends for an answer, then the Holy Spirit can give us an answer. But how can he give us an answer when we are still well supplied with all sorts of our own? Mm. <laughs> That's convicting, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Very, very convicting. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mentioned Norm Geisler, and he was one of my apologetics professors, and he had studied under Karl Barth. And by the way, you know, um, without getting too much in the weeds here, uh, there there were quotes that uh, you know Bart and some of his his colleagues like Jurgen Moltmann and others were what they call neo-orthodox meaning like uh neo meaning new uh not classical original orthodoxy but neo-orthodox now growing growing up bill i would hear preachers say oh you know they were liberals and things like that my goodness nowadays people like Karl Barth would be considered very very conservative but Shortly before the end of his life, and uh, I believe Dr. Geisler was at this meeting, they were in London to hear a lecture. I think it was in London. This would have been, you know, in the late 60s. And shortly before he died, Bart was telling his students, 
Norm Geisler among them, never forget the most important thing is the resurrection of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I do mean bodily. Yes. See, there was the question of did Jesus bodily rise from the grave? Was was it some sort of poetic, you know, spiritualistic? No, it was a physical bodily resurrection. And like I mentioned, Luke 24, where Jesus said, you know, he was tangibly physically raised. And Bart, like I say, in one of his final, you know, lectures to his students said, uh, the most important thing is that Jesus rose from the dead and by resurrection I do mean bodily. Yes. So he was he was um an an affirmer of the core foundations of the faith and I'm glad you're bringing him up. You know, uh I said Calvin, you know, cuz John Calvin was so prominent in Geneva, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. But he was born in France actually. So anyway, um that's why I guessed Calvin. But Yeah, it was a great guess, Alex. Just so well, you know. Uh, yeah. Folks, you can tell Bill and I don't script this ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, do we, we don't. We don't. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. Learn more about him at alexmcfarland.com. Carl Bart also said, Jesus does not give recipes that show the way to God as other teachers of religion do. He is himself the way. Mm, powerful. That That's beautiful. Because... All of the world's religions boil down to a list of do's or don'ts, as as Bart would say, recipes for God. Whereas with Christianity, and and this is unique as well. It's it's a relationship with Jesus. Uh, Bill, you've probably heard me mention another cowering name of twentieth and twenty first century theology, and that's Gary Habermas. Yes, I do. Yeah. Habermas teaches on, among other things, the uniqueness of Christianity, obviously that that our Savior rose from the dead, but also, and Habermas emphasizes how unique this is, that Jesus said, what you do with me will determine where you spend eternity. In other words, heaven is predicated on a relationship with someone, Jesus. And so like Bart recognized all these recipes to get to God, this list of do's and don'ts, or, you know, go bathe in the river Ganges, or mm-hmm. face east five times a day. Only Jesus, and, and this is so unique, only Jesus said that eternity hangs on you having a relationship with him, that he, the person, is the way, the truth, and the life. That's a unique message. It is. So good. Um, I, one of the things I, I love about Karl Barth is he said, uh, as deep as a thinker as he was, he said, uh, reference his mother, and he said, in the words of a song, my mother used to sing me, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Mm. That's a, one of the most important thinkers of the 20th century, uh, reduces it down to that. Isn't that precious? I think you know? it is. Mm-hmm. Jesus said that we we must become like little children, not not childish, but childlike. Mm-hmm. That and you know I, I appreciate intellect and I appreciate academic achievements, but honestly, um, even the the most brilliant, you know, one of his contemporaries, C.S. Lewis, also brilliant <laughs> as the day is long, and and Bart, we have to be like little children. And realize that the the most sublime 
realization that could ever course through our mind. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. Alex, I know we've only got a couple minutes left, but you keep talking about having a childlike faith. And I assume you made uh, came to an understanding that you were going to be a follower of Jesus at a young age. Well, you know, yes, I did, um, really in second grade. Um, but, you know, the funny thing, I remember um, I, I must have been, you know, five or six. It was probably before I was in first grade. But I was just laying in the grass one day uh, at my parents' house, laying in the yard kind of on a summer day, looking up at the sky, and there was the sun, and the sun was partially obscured by a cloud. And I was just wondering in my little five- or six-year-old mind, <laughs> what if the sun fell on us? You know, <laughs> What if the sun... Oh my goodness! There it is up there in the mm-hmm. sky. I hope it stays. You know, yeah. and uh, it just in my mind, I thought God is holding it there. I, I thought, you know, the sun isn't going to fall because somehow God is holding it up there. Now, the other thing, and th- this is so important, I came across this. Angie and I were moving a couple of years ago, and I found this little booklet, and I, I well remember we were at a restaurant. I was in second grade. The reason I know that is because we had moved, and we moved when I started second grade. But there was a little gospel booklet, like a little little coloring book almost, for children that was at this restaurant. And it was showed a little boy on a path, and it had John 3.16 and some verses. And on the final page, it said, If you would like Jesus in your life, you know, pray this prayer. And it was a little, you know, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. And it said, if if this expresses your heart, sign your name right here. Hmm. And in my little second grade scribble with, I think I, I had my the letter L going backwards. I wrote <laughs> Alex. I, I mean, really. And yeah. I remember that. Now, it was really when I was in college that yeah. I really got serious about walking with the Lord. And I but, time I time this so poorly, Alex, because we're out of time. Um, wow! And I know that but, we'll do this again, so we'll continue your story. The growth, the journey. Yeah. Jesus is Amen. faithful. Amen. Thank you, Alex. Always great to have you on. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com. After a short break, we're going to continue our series on Who is This Jesus with Jeff Verdorn. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.